The information presented is in no way to be considered as a standard of care, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. The information is provided with no guarantee. All content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the providing of medical, legal, or regulatory advice. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Blue Crew Medicine. Uh, today we're going to do back to basics of seizures. Uh, today we're joined again by Nathan Freeman, uh, one of our second second year fellows, PGM here at UMC. Welcome back, buddy. And then joining us for the first time is Dr. Mallory Browning, who's uh, one of our PGY2s and EM here at UMC, about to be a third year. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm Will, the air care, one of the air care CCPs and the educator for the team. So today, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about seizures of all shapes and sizes, big and small. So right ahead with our definition. So this is a generic definition from Johns Hopkins. I stole a seizure is a burst of uncontrolled electrical activity between brain cells, also called neurons or nerve cells, that causes temporary abnormalities in muscle tone or movements, which can be stiffness, twitching, or limpness, behavior sensations, or states of awareness. That's a mouthful. So basically, is anything abnormal? Right, and they come in different types. They manifest in different ways. Everybody's different. It's a lot like everything in medicine. Every patient's different. Every patient's unique. Seizures manifest in many different forms based on age population and how it fires and what. A lot of what we don't ever know. Some of those really smart neurologists and neurosurgeon guys can figure out some things, but way above my head. So as far as onset of things. What we're trying to prevent is a secondary injury, kind of like a lot of stuff. So hypoxia and watching their lactate, okay? Everybody's seen it where they go into kind of rhabdo kind of stuff. They end up getting really, really high lactates, or they get an anoxic brain injury, brain injury from seizures because they don't stop them, or they can't stop them. The typical one we all think of is full tonic clonic. All right, so they fall out, usually new onset seizures. Most of the time, they're pretty well... I don't know, what would y'all say the age cap is as far as new onset? If there's not like a trauma or something else involved? Um, I would say they're generally on the younger, in my experience, um, Nathan probably has more experience than I do, but generally if you're going to have a seizure, you're just going to start usually adolescence or a little bit younger, um, generally. If you're having a seizure and you're older, you need to look for a secondary etiology usually. Um, but usually if you're going to have primary epilepsy where you just have seizures for whatever reason, it's going to start when you're younger versus older. Like if you're my, I'm 31. So if you're 31 having a seizure, you need to look for something else usually that's causing it. I'd agree with that. And then like in the pizza world, there's seizures of all different flavors and all that kind of stuff. But in general, the way I type, I kind of break it down is think of the rule of six. So like six months to six years. If they have fever along with that in that age group, think febrile seizure. If they're younger than six months, you need to be looking for something either genetic or electrolyte. Um, if they're older than that, they may be in that 50% that has a first-time seizure and never seizes again. Or they may be one of those ones that they don't break because they've got something weird going on and need to delve into it. So once you kind of get outside that febrile seizure age range, a little, little more complicated. And when we talk about febrile seizures, we see it all the time. I've flown i can't tell you how many of them kids when they're sick genetic like inherently that most of them have a temp um so it could be anything from rsv common cold whatever may cause a febrile seizure febrile when we think of febrile i think of greater than one-on-one as far as fahrenheit um it could be any number of reasons or it could be an actual seizure but you got to treat the temperature to figure that out so if they're still seasoned after you give them Tylenol and Motrin, if they're age appropriate, those kinds of things. All right, let's start diving a little more into it. I hate to say diagnosis by diagnosis by exclusion, but a lot of seizures, that's what it is. So let's talk a little bit about different ways they onset. So we talked about general tonic clonic. So when I think of tonic, I think of stiff muscles. Clonic, I see think of repeated rhythmic stuff. So whether that's you know constantly moving your hands or jerking really bad most of the time people don't flop out the floor on a fish right Um, and i think that's big key too because what we see a lot with kids coming in either from home or even from other hospitals they'll come in the ambulance bay and we get told oh yeah they were fine the whole way they didn't say a word they didn't do a peep and it's because they were seizing the whole time and no one realized it because they weren't flopping around like a fish like people were used to it was more they were just clonic or uh sorry excuse me just tonic where they were stiff and pupils are fixed and eyes are deviated and they never check. So don't forget that 
just because you're not shaking doesn't mean you're not having a seizure. Right, and it's subtle sometimes with kids too, because especially if, like, we have a lot of complex care kids that have a lot of neurologic compromise, either because they're preemie or they have a genetic disorder. And a lot of one time I had a kid that just had nystagmus that was seizing. We put a continuous EEG on him in the ER, and they were in status, and all they had was horizontal nystagmus. And thank goodness I did a full neuro exam and saw the beating nystagmus, which is certainly not normal in anybody. And it could be any other little focal things. I've I've had patients before in the past, they said, yeah, hey, look, I have an aura, I'm just going to have a seizure, and you're kind of like, you know, as, as a young paramedic, I was like, are you sure? What other substance have you had today? No, no. And they're like, no, every time my pinky starts twitching, that's the sign. And then they have that aura that goes along with it. Sometimes they smell different. Uh, one guy had, yep, I can smell coffee. I'm like, that's usually a good thing for yeah. me. I'm mean, like, no, I'm like, right, this yeah. caffeinated here. This is <laughs> yeah. a positive. That's the elixir of life. <laughs> yeah, I'm like this is how I function. Um, we're like, no, no, no. Like it. That's that's my aura. Different people see stars or lights or whatever. But absent seizures used to be called petite malls. Those to me are some of the most complex ones. They just kind of like they're staring off into space. I've seen a lot of them, and especially those younger kids, those eight, nine, ten months old. They don't have a fever. All of a sudden, they just stare off into space, and they just fix and it may fix themselves after like 20 or 30 seconds but something just doesn't seem right you, you can't like you know you try to stimulate them whether it's uh snapping your fingers in front of them or you know any number of different ways anyone in different cranial nerves but if you try to stimulate them and they don't move is there any make a loud noise I'll, like if there's a clipboard I'll pick it up and hit it on the counter to see if something's going on or I'll clap and sometimes they look at me and they start crying which is fine crying kids a, a live kid as far as I'm concerned um, but I try and if it's a baby I'll try and startle them if it's someone older like an adolescent I'll uh, kind of stimulate their nail beds kind of push down on the nail bed maybe give them a little pinch on the skin to see if it kind of gets them to look usually pain will induce someone to look at you Yes, exactly. Yeah, once you get out of that, like, infant into the toddler, you know, two and older, I treat them the same way I treat adults. Mm -hmm. Nail bit pressure, a little bit of pain response, see if it gets them out of it. Something that's also, especially with our complex care kids, the myoclonic seizures or the sudden jerks that are just sporadic, um, that may be their, their baseline. Keep in mind, when we talk about seizures, and we'll get to management here later, but always understand what the patient's baseline is. Is that something normal for them? Do they normally have that? Is it something worse? Hey, usually they have a seizure that lasts 30 seconds to a minute. They, they defecate on themselves, they urinate on themselves. They have a tonic clock seizure and they back to baseline within five minutes. Okay, great, cool. This isn't that time. They haven't stopped seizing for five minutes. So if they have a, if they have an iPhone or an Android and it has the medical stuff in it, or they have a parent or somebody there that can tell you, Hey, look, this has happened before, but a lot of time new onset, we don't know. So we talked about prevention of secondary injury, hypoxia and lactate. As far as basic management of seizures, biggest thing to me is airway. hundred percent. Next question I have is access. <laughs> Second question in Mallory's book, airway, are they protecting it? If the answer is no, I want access now so I can get benzos and see what we got. And if they don't stop, we'll go from there. But um, those are my two first two questions. And even in a basic, you know, basic first responders style, just prevent an aspiration. Now, don't don't stick nothing in their mouth. Don't do the bite sticks. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, don't lose a finger. <laughs> but <laughs> but prevent an aspiration, prevent secondary injury. So roll them on their sides. Um, if they start vomiting, a lot of patients do, especially new onset kids. I've seen them puke up some things I didn't know was possible. Um, so just roll them on the side, prevent aspiration, give them supplemental oxygen if they need it. A lot of times we talked about those, I like to use the six, rule of sixes, trying to, some of those kids are not going to tolerate blow by. So don't try to suffocate them. Just give them just a little bit of supplemental air oxygen just to, hey, look, give you something else on top of everything. As far as basic stuff, you talk about airway and access. Do you necessarily, I know in, in the NMS and even in the ER world, IVs on kids can be a challenge. Does that mean you need to drill them? Not necessarily. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Let's let's jump right into, let's talk about status epilepticus. So it's true status and then refractory status. So when y'all think of status and refractory status, what is the difference for y'all? So status, my big difference is like, 
they teach you the whole greater than five minutes, and that's because you have up until about 30 minutes before you have, like, hypoxic ischemic injury. Um, but if you, without having given any medications, the moment you give a benzo or anything and it does not correct it, that's when you start getting refractory and you need to start being concerned about other things. Um, at least in my experience in the pizza world, the vast majority of, you know, kids respond to a benzo, but the biggest factors that kind of preclude them to not responding is how long has the seizure gone on? The longer it's gone on, the harder it's going to be for you to get under control. And then what the underlying issue causing that seizure is. Um, for adults, dealing with adults, generally the ones I see in status are the ones that are not taking their medications, which is incredibly common around here, unfortunately. Um, and I assume when they come in, they've already been seizing for greater than five minutes because a lot of people are, their EMS is the first point of contact because they were found down by who knows how long they've been doing it. So I automatically give a high dose of Ativan because I have the tools available to put an airway in if, if they, their GCS goes down. So I automatically hit them with um, four, of, uh, not Versed, Ativan. We have shortage right now, so Versed is the better choice. <laughs> I'll hit them with four of Ativan usually or Versed, 0.1 mix per kg for the dose. And um, if they don't respond to that, I'll give them a second dose and give them an opportunity. And if they still don't respond, I'm just going to go ahead and intubate them. Um, and, and give them something to completely shut off the central nervous system. To to tie in like Ativan Versed and then to the uh, access that we were talking about earlier, um, one of the things I've seen is so Ativan, great IV drug, um, but it's not good IM absorption. So you may give Ativan IM and say, okay, they failed it because it didn't really work. Versed IM is wonderful, and you can like double or even triple that dose, go to 0.3 instead of 0.1 per kg. And that's where I was going with it. It depends on what access you get. Ativan... I've seen it I am, I've seen it I pretty much every way. And intranasal can be your friend too. If you've got an atomizer, if you we don't use it as much in the adult world and the peas world, we use it all the time in PPR. Um, especially for, you know, giving a little pain medicine while we're sewing them up or whatever. Versed intranasal is the bomb.com. Just make sure you double that dose, you do point two per kilo. In adults, if you're given an intranasal because it's somebody that doesn't have really good access or you don't feel comfortable drilling, you do not have access to a drill at that time, your battery dies because that's a thing, just be mindful of how much you're given. If you're popping more than one vial of anything, is the, is the rule that always got taught to me, and it's the one I preach on it. If you're popping more than one vial of something, think about it. Versed, pretty much the ways I've seen it concentrated around here and pretty much across, across the country, it's either 2 milligram vials, 5 milligram vials, or 25 milligram vials. You shouldn't be popping a 25 milligram vial unless it's a really bad day and you're popping a DAI kit. But if you're given more than that five milligram vial, think about it. So try five milligrams intranasally or IV or whatever, and then go from there from an adult standpoint. From the kids, Versed works great. Yeah. And ask the families too, if you don't have like an atomizer to where you can do that, ask families if they have it because the P's neurologist I've always like gleaned all my info from, he stops, uh, prescribing the rectal diastat because now families are able to get this intranasal versed over the counters they're abortive because you know you think about families just scared to stick something at the bottom to give the gel but this is so much easier for them but if they're still scared of that maybe they haven't just didn't want to use it ask them see if they have it yeah i've, d I've definitely done that yeah. i've been like hey can, do you have your atomizer can we use it because yeah, <laughs> the nurses couldn't find it for yeah. whatever reason i was like let's let's do this <laughs> it's been a game changer almost of us growing up medicine you know You've been around a minute. The diastat used to be the standard. Hey, if you have seizures, especially a kid, they've got a diastat at home. It's always with them. They go to camp. they got a diastat. They sit in there. But everybody was so scared to do perirectal stuff. And Valium, you can give. It's great because you can give it anywhere you want. But everybody was scared of it. I, I'm so glad. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> um, and he's one of the first ones, I think, in the state to actually start yep. prescribing it that way. And intranasal versed prescribed at home works great. Um, the kit, it's commercial. It's you, you cannot mess it up. It's this is the dose. This is you know, it's only that amount in the syringe. It's it's great. Um, kind of jumping ahead, but talking about access. So think intranasal if you got that option. Ativan can work intranasal, but it's not that great. I prefer Versed if you have that option. Valium is a great option as well. Um, before you start treating these kids, get a good history. It's like anything else we've talked about on any episode is knowing the history. So what led up to the seizure? So were they all of a sudden, they were just sitting in class and just dropped out. We were at home playing. We were at preschool and just all of a sudden we're playing with the dinosaurs. And then 
no more playing with dinosaurs? Um, do we hit her head? Is there other etiology going on with it? Um, do they have they been eating well? All those have they been sick? All those other kind of things. Yep. Yeah, especially so. The biggest risk of that is actually your one-year-old shots. The MMRV, yeah. the it, that shot causes the highest rates of fevers, and that's when they come in. They come in twelve months old, a day removed from their from the vaccine season. Yeah, and you have to remind the family it's not the vaccine that caused it; it's the fever that caused yeah. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Please get your MMR. <laughs> <laughs> Please get it. Yeah. Just make sure you take Tylenol. Get some Tylenol. Yeah. Yep. Before and after. I yeah. Everybody, yeah, they kind of frown on it, but an hour before you go to your appointment, take your Tylenol, and then just take it the rest of the day, and you don't have a problem. But know what their mental status was beforehand. Know what their mental status is after the first dose. You talk about refractory or status. Refractory, you've given some kind of management. Well, usually it's a benzo. Sometimes they're really complex kids. They go straight to our obituates. But the refractory seizures, you've given some kind of management, and it didn't work. Understand what the mental status is between seizures. Do they come all back to baseline? If they don't come back to baseline, they're still in status. And then the biggest thing to me, you mentioned it before, is respiratory effort. So we're very fortunate at level one centers, or I'm on the aircraft when I'm there. You know, hey, I've got a lot of tools at my disposal to manage an airway. But if you're a advanced EMT and you may have a benzo or you may have something, but you can't stop it all the way or you don't feel comfortable intubating somebody, Know that you have, hey, do I have a supraglottic airway? Do I have an OPA? Do I have an MPA? Do I have a BVM? Somebody a long time ago told me, you shouldn't give any drug that's going to drop the respiratory effort without having a plan in your head or just having the tools. If you don't have the tools, be prepared to do mouth to mouth. That's what I mean. As bad as I say it, that's, that's the way to look at it. But you'd be surprised. A lot of these kids, especially, they take really high doses. It depends on how long it's been going on. I I'm with you. The same way, if, if they say, you know, they've been seasoned, they come in season, I assume five minutes, if not yep. ten. Depends mm-hmm. on where they're coming from. Yep. Yeah. Um, but some of these kids take adult doses of things yeah. regularly. I, I've seen kids, I was on PICU, um, my PICU rotation in April, and I watched this kid get, like, a monster, like, enough to kill me for fed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I would be intubated and sedated for hours yeah. after that. And the kid popped out of the seizures. I was like, good Lord, that's tolerance yeah, a right lot, there. A lot of those complex care kids oh, yeah. and stuff she like that, they'll have them. Yeah. yeah, and, and it was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it was a high tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> Also with kids, think about the high metabolic rate. They're, if, if they're seasoned actively, their stroke volume is really high, their heart rate's really high, everything for their age population, everything is super in hyperdrive, so they're going to burn through it quick. So if you, a lot of something else we see, and we'll talk about it when we get to drugs here in a minute, but underdosing. Make sure you're given the appropriate dose, the appropriate route if you can. So if you're given intranasal, like we talked about, make sure you double the dose. Um, if you're given IV, make sure you give the full dose. This, I, Well, I, I'm worried about their airway before you give it, have it all. Because it's mm-hmm. going to take, the longer they've been seasoned, like you said, yep. the longer it's going to take them to come out. And that's where I'm like, I'm kind of one of those big go big or go home types. If they're seizing, yes, you may be worried about the airway, but if you don't stop the seizure, time is brain, right? So they give you that range on the Ativan of 0.05 to 0.1. Do 0.1 because your goal is to stop that seizure. Because if you don't, there goes their brain, yeah. right? That's my goal is to CNS. Let's talk a little bit about just those absent seizures and those focal seizures. Especially in kids, so like the, the the common ones that are on test questions. Let's let's talk about the the nystagmus. So you mentioned nystagmus before. So for everybody that's hadn't heard of nystagmus before, watch somebody when they're seizing, watch their eyes. Um, you're looking for the horizontal nystagmus, which is common, which is like a I, don't know, I always say a pinball going back and forth in your eyes horizontally. So there's hor- vertical nystagmus, horizontal nystagmus. Look at the eyes and see if they're constantly moving. Um, one of the few things, if you do get rock or sucks or VEC or one of those par- fun paralytic drugs, you'll still see a nystagmus. Um, so that tells you if there's season underneath it. Keep in mind, eyes are one of the biggest tools you can figure out, hey, if they're season or if they're just deviating. Um, that happens a lot. I've seen that more in kids than anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, there was a DP shunt kid um, that all she did was deviate. And yep. I was like, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's treat that. <laughs> and make note of that because then it kind of, it helps you like localize because you have a generalized tonic clonic and the eyes won't do anything. The parents always say they roll back and you're like, okay, yeah. But if they're like, it went to the right and wouldn't move, that's a little more concerning. That's that's where we get into those, oh, you can have a seizure and be fine. Whatever. Once you kind of 
like localized to one side, that's something you need to be concerned about. Um, I'll never forget the first one I had that was lip smacking. Mm, I've not seen that. I've heard of it. But yeah, there's it. been a couple I've had. Um, first <coughs> one I had, it was an interfacility transfer. They said, "Hey, they're getting, they're going down to, going down to the U, going to Children's, and it's going to be for uh, new onset seizures. You're going to watch them get back in the truck, and we're cruising down the road. It's Bobby down the road, and Mom's sitting there with me, and I was." At the time, I was studying from FPC. I had been a very, very long. I'm like, all right, I'm looking at all this critical serious stuff, and I'm like trying to do that good narrow exam. And I look at you know, I'm like, that is lip smacking to a T. Mm-hmm. But it's <coughs> rhythmic tongue movements. Can be rhythmic move anything. Yeah. Rhythmic tongue movements, lip smacking, especially in your kids that are those zero to six months. Watch for mm-hmm. um, It's one of those if they say seizures or they have some kind of weird off thing, look for those. As you mentioned before, looking for that detailed neuro exam. Yeah. Um, start with the face, work your way down. Uh, anything else y'all look for specifically? For like the little bitty ones, like the less than a year, you know, do they move both sides equally? Because uh, one of the big things when I'm teaching medical students and even like new interns is how do you do a neuro exam on an infant because they don't participate some way an adult does where you just boss them around and they do what you say. Uh, <laughs> lay them down. See if they fuss. See if they're kicking. See if they're like waving their arms around like a fussy baby would. And when they are, what side's moving, what side's not moving, where the eyes go, and how, like, when you give them a pacifier, how strong is that suck reflex? Look and see if they favor one side or the other. That's one of the things I see. Um, and think about, like, what those normal newborn type things would right. be. Are they acting like a new baby or are they kind of really weird, really flopped out? Newborn Another, reflexes help a lot. Yeah. If they're a baby and seizing, they will not have newborn reflexes. Mm-hmm. There's, they're super easy to test. There's a suck reflex, like with the Patsy or a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, the Moro reflex, startle reflex, um, rooting reflex is one I use. Like if you touch <coughs> the baby over on their cheek, they'll turn mm-hmm. towards that side because they think mm-hmm. they're getting fed. Yeah. So if they're seizing, they're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Even the Babinski one on the foot, and just make sure they fan appropriately, all those kind of things. Usually I took what I used to do with my full-time partner was I'd sneak around to the side, I'd get up in their face, and he'd do their feet. And so I'd be distracting them over there, and he'd hit their feet and see what see if they can consciously understand, hey, look, somebody's messing with me on this side too. Um, it's a good way if you can teamwork that and work it out, yeah. especially without talking. It, it helps. But anyway, so let's – Let's kind of work our way down. So we've talked a lot about assessing kids, some of the management stuff. Let's, let's work on our management. So first line for these people, again, if you don't have anything or if you're in a restaurant with your family or whatever and somebody drops out season, big things, area protection, preventing secondary injury. So roll them on their side, don't let them aspirate. If they quit breathing, obviously help breathe for them or at least open their airway. I'll make sure they got a pulse, all that basic kind of stuff. When you start having toys to play with, start playing with drugs. So let's talk about Ativan. Okay. I think that's pretty much across the board, straight line, everybody's favorite drug. Only reason it's not carried on some trucks is it's got to be refrigerated. You can pull it out for 28 days, but after that, you got to chuck it, so it's, it's a money thing, right? But Ativan is pretty much first line for everybody. Let's talk about the dose. So let's 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 start off with adults. Yeah. So what do you go with? So I go with it's 0.1, 0, 0.05 to 0.1 mix per kick, even for adults. For adults, to put it politely, we have a little bit of a fluffy population here. So generally, I'll go big or go home first, depending on what they look like. It's just situational dependent. For someone, say, my size, I would give them, um, which I'm about 100 kilos, full disclosure, um, I would give them probably four to start with. Um, If they look smaller, like if it's someone who's coming that's kind of skinny or something like that, I'll give them two. Um, But generally, four is what I reach for, uh, for adults. Little old me mom, maybe two. Yeah. Everybody else. Everybody else is going to be getting a a big slug of, of benzo up front. Again, that's two vials. Again, so think about it, <laughs> but do it. Yep. By all means, do it. Peds world. Peds point one. That's like what I've ingrained. I don't even try to think of a range. Just point one meter per kick. Um, you can always round a little bit if it comes out some weird dose when you've got these like five point five kilos. Just give them point five. Give them point six. Um, and then like once you start getting into that bigger adolescent age. It, you know, gloves are off, treat them like an adult, give them two, give them four, you know, especially if you've got like, you know, big muscular 16 year olds that are essentially adults, treat them like an adult. So, yeah. Or even some of the eight year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the eight year olds. Um, because again, time is brain. Yes. You can worry about the airway, but like at this point, hopefully if you're giving drugs, you know, you should be 
Yeah. Uh, you should be you and be prepared you're, mentally. Yeah, you're thinking about giving a benzo. You better have your yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Either in the vicinity of you or right next yeah. to you. Yeah, and usually, and yeah, and kids tend to like they'll take one dose and be fine, yeah. and you know do better, whatever. And if you are given multiple doses, um, it don't be afraid to like give them back to back if you need to. Like you don't have to wait a full like ten minutes mm-hmm. in between. Like if that didn't stop that seizure, then two or three minutes go into the second yeah. one. And kids are pretty resilient on their airways with just benzos it's yeah. once you start adding in other stuff or the seizures going on so long that you start to lose that airway i will say that the kids kids have rebound well kids rebound easier than adults mm-hmm. anyway because they're made out of rubber yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um adults generally if i have to give you two rounds of benzos there's a high likelihood you're going to mm-hmm. get an airway um but anyway yeah and we yeah kids sometimes you do that second round of benzo and you're loading with you know kepra or something that we'll get to but like sometimes just that second benzo in that load of whatever their drug is you can save intubating these kids they bounce back pretty quickly i've seen them really literally two rounds of benzos even before you get into epileptics mm. and they give them like two or three minutes they come out a little bit postictal and they come out talking you're like you should not you you just got 12 ativan i don't know if you understand that but <laughs> so first dose again is 0.1 per kilo it's pretty much across the board Adults, most people start with four. Depends on how long it's been going on. If it's, again, if it's been going on for 30 minutes, worry about HIE. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about HIE, Nathan, just especially in kids? Yeah, um, that is, like you know, we always talk about how resilient kids are and everything like that. This is, like, the one thing that they don't really bounce back very well from. There is several, you know, instances of kids that will be seizing and will be missed, and by the time they get to us or, you know, wherever – that you finally stop the seizure, but then they're not really breathing on their own. You intubate them, you send them a CT scanner, and the brain's just toast. Like, there's really no coming back from it. And so, um, this is, again, one of those one situations where I'm more worried about brain than I am airway, because, you know, it was EM providers were all airway, airway, airway. It's one of those, stop stop the seizure. Um, you tend to, if, if you do end up with that HIE, um, after you stop the seizure, look for your signs of cerebral edema. I know we've talked about that in other podcasts but you start to get that like cytotoxic swelling you can herniate it may take a while it may be one of those that say you're boarding forever because it's terrible weather and you can't get peace transport or whatever just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff they will have eventually they'll have cushion strap i've 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 flown them they'll get a lot of times it's more they come into the rural outside hospital and they've been seizing the family didn't recognize they have those subtle signs where they're lip smacking their baby hey something they won't eat they hadn't been eating for 12 hours they've been seizing 12 hours it's just you know totally understand it you know parents didn't recognize those small little things because they're having that absent some absent you know deviated left eye gaze or whatever um and then they have that hypoxic episode because they can't control their airway it only takes 30 minutes to start killing brain cells so if you if you go down that path keep that in mind as far as ativan all right so ativan's our first line then we get down to versed midazolam uh 0.1 per kilo Make make this real easy. Adults, same dose. Versed to me is more uh, multi-purpose and universal because you can give it intranasal. It works really well. I am. You can give it IV. Ativan works really well. IV. The only thing I'll say about Versed IV is I've seen it because you're given such a big dose of Versed. Watch for that airway. You may have to manage their airway for two or three minutes. And when I say manage their airway, I mean just give a, put an OPA or an MPA in. Uh, yeah jaw thrust they all need or maybe two or three little breaths but they may not be enough but just have all your toys ready to go volume is considered kind of old school now i grew up that's all we had you know but uh volumes common this diastats are still prescribed across across the board um there's still plenty of adults that are on volume daily pretty number of things uh typically adults we start with five up to ten kids against 0.1 so if you forget anything about what we just talked about 0.1 milligrams per kilogram yep and then the other thing to recognize and kind of why we use ativan is because it works more quickly than the other two but then it also weans off more quickly and so you got to weigh those pros and cons and so like if you're given 0.1 ativan versus 0.1 volume know that it may take a little bit longer but the flip side of that is they also last longer, too, so you may have bought yourself some time. So that's why Versed is so great. It's kind of right there in the middle. Yeah. Human, when we talk about onset of these drugs, it can be anywhere from, especially a kid with a really high metabolic rate, heart rate's 180, 200. 
that CEO is pretty dang, the cardiac output is pretty dang high. It could be onset anywhere from, I've seen as low as 90 seconds, um, to usually three to five minutes. Versus same adults, I am, no matter which way you get it, three to five minutes. So we talked about giving a second dose. When you give a second dose, do you repeat the same dose or what, do y'all double it? What is y'all's practice? For Ativan, I keep it the same. And, the same. and usually, even for Versed, I keep it the same because you start to kind of get an additive effect, especially as you are doing that narrow timing dosing. I just get the same dose. Makes it easier. You don't have to think through it. Some people will tell you, some some neurologists will say, hey, if you're given, they won't do it for every one of them, but you're given Ativan, they'll say double it. Um, that's the only one I've ever seen doubled that was made sense to me. Versed, to start talking about doubling Versed, I automatically, in the back of my head, I'm thinking... Uh, drug-assisted intubation, yes, I'm, I'm going to tube somebody. That being said, I've seen plenty of adults. You give them four off the bat, then you give them eight behind it. And eight doesn't, you know. Again, it depends on how long they've been seasoned. That would be my trigger point as far as doubling the dose. It depends on your protocols, your practice, or what you're allowed to do. But if they've been seasoned for a long period of time, you hit them with the initial dose and it doesn't work, it may take more to break them. Um, again, that's why you're doing everything else in conjunction. Something else I want to – I want to bring out a couple of other little drugs is propofol. Okay. Um, for most people in first responder world, that is a, a no-no. If you did have access to it, uh, physician, MP, rural hospital, two to three milligrams per kilogram bolus. Um, I've seen them use it a lot upstairs. Not so much EM as much, but if you're in the ICU world, especially if they're already intubated, hey, hit them with a bolus of it. Um, biggest thing to watch for, obviously, is hypotension with it. All those other drugs, Ativan, Versa, and Valium, typically they are, I won't say they're normotensive, but they do not usually cause uh, blood pressure drops or MAP drops near as near as much. Again, it's all in how pushed the drug, but I've seen Versa do it, but it, it's usually with somebody with labile blood pressure anyway. So Propofol is one of those you got to watch out for. Especially uh, in the peds world. they yeah. You know, you got black box warnings on some of the younger kids with uh, Propofol, and then if you're bolusing, you're usually thinking about infusing uh, and kids tend to react pretty negatively to purple infusion. So that's one of those like last ditch effort I've given every Ativan vial in the hospital and all my Kepra's gone and my phenobarb's gone and I just can't get it stopped. It's one of those like very last thing for kids. And two, with propofol, um, I know a lot of people get kind of ner nervous when it makes your pressure soft, but if you have access at the AC or at the at the uh, elbow or higher, or a central line even, if you put one in, you can put them on some levofed. You don't have to max them out. You don't have to put them on 30 mics. You can just try them at like five or 10 mics, see how they do and titrate as needed. And you don't have to have an A-line. You can use a cuff if you don't have an A-line set up. I've, I've been in situations where I don't have an A-line set up and I use cuff pressures and they were fine. <laughs> it's not the most reliable reading, but it is a reading. So you can always put them on a t like a baby dose of levofed if they get a little soft with propofol. Just maintain perfusion. Yes, that is 100% the, the point. Um, ketamine. What's y'all's what thoughts on ketamine? I Well, ketamine's a great drug. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I love ketamine <laughs> um, for things like conscious sedation or a combative mm -hmm. patient, but I personally never used it for anybody having a seizure. Yeah, I parse the same thing. But then I would also be leery of it because, you know, we're still in that gray area. We don't really know exactly what it does, like ICP related and things like that. And so if your kid is seizing because they have a big old brain tumor, they have some type of obstruction causing increased intracranial pressure and you gave ketamine just made that worse. So that's something I would tend to avoid. And then even like in, in, in your RSI with kids, like if you're going to intubate them because of status, I probably would avoid that too. We can, you know, go to automate that's like the great neuro drug when you're sedating um but yeah ketamine i tend to avoid if i don't know exactly what's going on in their head but there's a lot of literature out there with ketamine about different ways you can think of it I, for me based off the studies that come out in the last couple of years it's one of those okay consider it um i'm just school's not out yet of me i'd rather use benzos that i'm very familiar with and know and barbiturates that i'm very familiar with. again ketamine we don't know everything we, about how it works and how it works on sometimes seizure, especially if it's new onset, and I don't know where it came from. Um, but it's an option, so keep that in mind. Um, as far as the dose, it's anywhere from 0.15 to 0.5, depending on what study you read. So just don't go to one milligram per kilogram. That's all I ask. That's, that's you start playing with the DAI dose. Um, something else we talk about not as frequently, mag use. So when we talk about mag, you're usually giving it for smooth muscle relaxers. 
Um, but it also brings up an interesting point with seizures, uh, specifically eclampsia and preeclampsia. Um, so mag, you're giving it for a couple different reasons, right? So one reason is it's protecting the uterus. Number one, um, um, try, try, trying to protect the baby, trying to protect the fetus. Um, but it also works in a couple of different ways as far as metabolizing everything and dropping the blood pressure. So and smooth muscle, smooth muscle dilator. So, uh, excuse me, smooth muscle relaxant, um, which causes some vasodilation. It keeps the blood pressure going down. Do, do y'all have use, have y'all used MAG for kids or for seizures in general? Uh, I have never ordered MAG for a seizure outside of somebody who's pregnant, who is known in, plus two, here's another key point with pregnant girls, is it's up to six weeks after delivery, you can have eclampsia. It is not, the baby is not to stop for eclampsia. Mom still could have eclampsia six weeks after delivery is another thing to keep in mind. But I, personally, I've never used MAG for a kid or an adult who is not pregnant. Yeah, the, um, the one time I've ever used it was on a, adolescent postpartum right. preeclamptic like not in anything else in peds i've right. ever used mag and for status it makes a lot of people nervous especially if they're younger like if they're an adolescent <clears throat> that's that's eclamptic it makes people nervous because it makes you hypotensive give them six if they're an yeah. adult size female give them six don't do two don't do four it is six over 15 it's aggressive because you're trying to get her to stop seizing the other thing with mag is you can give it any way you want yes so don't be scared it's um one of our OB docs was here to tell you, just shoot it in the thigh. I don't care. Just shoot it in there. I don't care if you get the bones right behind it, but give it to them. Mm -hmm. um, Make sure them. you give it on two sides, though. Yeah. <laughs> One on each side. <laughs> it's going to hurt. Um, <laughs> big thing I'll say about MAG, when we get into the preeclampsia, eclampsia episode here next month or so, but be mindful of their calcium level on top of that. So know, know where they're at. Benzos and everything else, we don't really have to worry about it so much. Mag is one of those. It's, you're playing an electrolyte game. Keep, keep mindful of what the opposite's going to be. Um, great point about six weeks afterwards. It can be a long time. It doesn't have to be while they're pregnant. It can be postpartum. Very, very common. Um, so let's get into anti-epileptics. So this is where you start getting to, depends on who you talk to. I want to do this. <laughs> I want to do that. Um, Thankfully, in the last couple of years, pretty much everybody across the board has gone with Kepra. Oh, mm -hmm. Except for how it comes. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the only downside I say from somebody that mixes it all the time. Yeah. That, that is the only downside. Fair. Kepra um, dosing. So what do y'all go with? Um, well, if they're in status, I'm going full bore. For an adult, I'm going full bore. Any kids, too, 60 mm. mix per kid. Yep. And if you're an adult, I'm just going to give you 4.5 grams. Like, that's mm -hmm. the max dose we can do here at UMC. And I just give them 4.5 if they're in yeah. status. Yeah, one that I actually talked to the same piece neurologist, mm -hmm. epileptologist, because I asked him like, "What we, we just throw around Kepra like it's nothing because it's such a great drug in the situation? When do you not give it stuff like that?" And the answer is never. You give it no matter what because any of the potential like side effects are not really an issue in status. It's all like psychosis in kids and stuff like that that are like you're elevating daily dosing and they get agitated but if they're in status you give it you give them 16 weeks per kick there's no true max dose but most time you're going to max out the 4.5 like you would adults and then um you um give it over 15 minutes instead of 30 like some of the others so you get it in quicker and it tends to work very well and if you're going to do a status dose with Kepra, you need <clears> to <throat> tell someone to get it for you yeah. it's usually i don't know of any department that i've ever worked in or seen that has Kepra 4.5 in the Pixis in the ER. Mm -hmm. Like they have Kepra here in our Pixis for like loading dose or something like that. But you, if you're going to do the big slug of Kepra, you're going to have to get it from pharmacy and you start yeah. thinking ahead to get it. And that can be a big process change because I know when I started residency six, seven years ago, it was 20 mix per kick, 20 mix per kick. Mm -hmm. And then right before I graduated, it's like, oh no, we're going to do 40. And then like two years ago, it was now, now it's 60. And it can be kind of scary because you've just tripled the dose. But what's great about it is it doesn't have that respiratory depression like you get with your phenobarb, your phosphonatoin. It doesn't add on with your benzos. It's one of those things you can break their seizure and save a tube. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of things with, to me, we talk about Kepra. There's there's three doses of it. There's a 20, 40, 60. Those are the ones we common. I've, I've heard of the 80. I've never seen it done. Um, now you start starting with P's neurologists. I'm sure they do it upstairs all day long. But... As far as emergency medicine, 20, 40, 60. 20 is the one is the prophylactic, subtraumatic, subarach, adult. Hey, we don't want them to seize because seizures cause increased mortality, mortality, yada, yada, yada. 20 milligrams per kilogram. 40, you seize once. You haven't seized since. You seized four hours ago. We gave you a benzo dose, everything. Okay, yeah, I want to drop your threshold, but we're there. 
you're actively seizing or in status, guess what? You get the 60. Um, all great points about Unidef. The, the pre-mixed one gram, and they have some pre-mixed two grams I've seen, depending on where you are, that's not enough. And keep in mind the volumes, especially when we start talking about kids. So pre-mixed two grams, 100 cc's, and we're talking about a kid that's, you know, 20, I'll say 20 kilograms. So y'all can do the math. Um, keep in mind of the volume you're giving them as well. Kepper is a relatively hemodynamically stable drug. Um, that being said, you don't want to always just push it as much as I want to just draw it up and push everything. Um, give it over 15 minutes, let it go in. You don't want to burn up the vein, that kind of thing. So the only thing, the only thing you'll ever hear me say about Kepper is it only comes in 500 milligram vials. Uh, it's 100 milligrams per cc. Just keep that in mind. It's going to take a minute to draw up. That being said, you got somebody actively in status. There's nothing, you're drawing up nine vials for four and a half grams. There's nothing to say you can't give 500 drop a vial, 500 drop a vial, 500 drop a vial. Um, it's the same thing as over 15 minutes. You're just not diluting it. So get it on board, get it on board early. Uh, Kepper, because of the volume concentration, you can't give it IM, unfortunately, but it's a great drug to give IO. It's a great drug to give IV. Yeah. Um, I'd usually pull the trigger on it if I'm giving a second benzo. Like if that first Ativan didn't do it and I have to give a second one, that's when I just go ahead and be like, all right, draw Ativan and Kepper at the same time or Valium and Kepper, whatever you're going to do for that second dose. And history is so important to these patients. Hey, are they on Kepper every day? Kepper mm -hmm. is super common now. It used to be kind of not as commonly prescribed. Pretty much everybody's on Kepper. That's a yeah. first line try. They're going to try it. Um, are they on Kepper? Does Kepper work? Does Foss work? Does Dilantin work? Do they need something straight? But if you remember 20, 40, 60, you always remember 20 kilo, 20 mm -hmm. milligrams per kilogram, at least to start, you're okay. There's so many weird, like, antiepileptics out there that kids are on, you know, on fee and all these weird ones that, you know, not every hospital carries. But, like, you know, general rule of thumb is if they have a history of seizures and they're on something, load them with what they own. But if you don't have it, as long as they don't have an allergy to Kepra, it's usually safe to load them and send them. As far as allergies to Kepra, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. I've never met anybody that actually had one. Is, have y'all ever seen somebody? Is it just the drug itself and how you manufacture it? Is it something, some clinical master? Uh, I think the only ones I've seen that's been labeled on their chart were those that, like, didn't tolerate the daily dosing because they have, like, like the big thing that you would see, which doesn't really pertain to ER stuff realistically, but is, like, agitation like you end up like almost like ruled rage type thing they just don't tolerate because they're just agitated all the time yeah. that's the only true allergy quote unquote i've ever seen rare that i've ever yeah. across a patient with a documented kepra yeah anything i think about two and seven years or something I, like that it's like i can't even recall <laughs> i may have never even seen one i'm just trying to imagine it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right next two on the list i'm gonna kind of group together but mm. cerebex and dilantin so phosphonatolin and dilantin um Dilantin is phenotoin, phosphenotoin. If you start breaking down the chemical, we won't go into all, all the pharmacology stuff, but short version is phosphenotoin is the breakdown of phenotoin. So um, as far as dosing of Cerebex and Dilantin, we used to be super common. Dilantin infusions were like a thing. Like it was, okay, cool. Everybody knows 20 milligrams per kilogram, call it a day. Dilantin's not commonly used as much anymore. There's still plenty of people that are on it PO. But as far as IV emergency medicine, because it takes so long and you can't rush it, it's one of those you got to give it over the time. And if you don't, it's not going to go well. Um, stick it away from it. Phosphatoin used to be really popular for Subarax. Um, a minute back, uh, what is y'all's trigger pull as far as medical seizures when you give phosphatoin? Is there anything that clues you in? Hey, look. All right. I'm reaching for phosphatoin or dilantin, I am doing it when they're already on Keppra and they're still seizing. Um, it is going to be an additive effect because sometimes that's what it requires, for, especially if they're an older person that's not compliant, for instance, let's do it for instance, and their Keppra is not working, their, their load of Keppra is not working to break it, I will load them with phosphonytoin. I'll usually reach for phosphonytoin first because it has less, less toxicities because of the, the chemistry of it and whatnot. Don't ask me to quote it because <laughs> I'm not Griggs, but <laughs> I'm not a pharmacist, but um, it has less toxicity than dilantin itself. So I will be, it will be an additive effect to the Keppra if I, if I pull it out. Yeah, I'd agree with that. In the peds world, usually it's if you've given two, three doses of benzos, you've given Kepra, none of that stopped it, go to the cerebrates, go to the phosphonatoin. Uh, with all the fancy, you know, pharmacokinetic stuff like that, basically dilantin has become a, almost a no-no in the peds world because it's just so unpredictable how 
kids break it down and the effects they get it from it but then the phosphonatoin is so much more stable and well tolerated that basically i crossed all off like that's just something you don't do peds unless it's literally the only drug you have left and there's still season um i'd be mad depends <clears throat> on where you are if that's all you got because hey again phosphonatoin is one of those things got to be refrigerated so if you don't have it it used to be expensive it's come down to price i know but it's still pretty expensive even with cerebex it can be a challenge to get it sometimes Kepra is relatively cheap. Pretty much everybody has it. Dilantin may be the other option. So if you got to use Dilantin, use Dilantin. It's still 20 milligrams per kilogram. Only thing I'll say about Dilantin and Cerebex both, they're both not hemodynamically stable. Um, I have seen people drop their blood pressure, especially if you try to push FOS. Um, the other thing is you got to worry about uh, perirectal irritation with FOS. It's a real thing. Um, so keep that in mind, especially with kids. So if you're giving kids... They're gonna feel weird. Everything's gonna be odd. They may, they may have that flush sensation, kind of like you get with mag, um, if it's given fast. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yeah. That's pretty much all the generic antibiotics we use in emergency medicine. As as you mentioned, there's plenty of them out there, Nathan. That yeah. we we don't even touch. There's a ton. ton. I can't even keep things. up with. Yeah. It. I know. There's, <laughs> like, there's so many. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> at that point, you're calling neurologists like, "Hey, I need help. What's going on?" <laughs> Um, so let's move on to barbiturates. Mm -hmm. So you got somebody that is still seasoned actively. You don't have access or you don't have access to benzos at all. Mm -hmm. Um, typically the next round of things is barbiturates. Mm -hmm. Um, this can be a challenge, especially in rural, rural medicine. A lot of people don't have access to barbiturates or it's one of those things. They may not have the um, correct amount. They have, again, it's like anything else comes in different concentrations. They may have the 65 milligram per ML vial, but they don't have the 130s and they've only got two of them. Right. That's, that ain't going to load an adult. <laughs> yeah. And I love neonate, but that will not load an adult. Um, when y'all think about uh, barbiturates, what do y'all think of? What, what what has to happen for that trigger pull to occur? I think in the PEDS world, it's basically the same trigger pull that you do for FOS. Because sometimes, sometimes we'll go to phenobar before phosphonatoin is just because of availability and comfort and all that kind of stuff. But... If you've loaded a Kepra, you've given three, four doses of a benzo, and you just can't stop it. You've given a FOS load, then you tend to load with phenobar, 10 to 20 per kg. Uh, but at the same time, you're drawing up that that uh, phenobar, you're getting your airway stuff, because at this point, you're taking the airway, because mm -hmm. that additive effect, I'm sure most people know, you give barbiturate a benzo, you're done. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of my big trigger point. For adults, I, like Nathan said, um, if you're reaching for a barbiturate, you either, A, have an ET tube already in there, or you're going to put one in. Um, because it's going to it's gonna tank their CNS. It's the ultimate off switch, as far as I'm mm. concerned. Um, and for adults, for me, it's going to be two questions. Are they in status? And they've already had the two, the FOS and the Keppra. Or what's causing the seizure? If they're having like an alcohol withdrawal seizure, a barbiturate is, is great. It can completely hit that off switch and kind of snap them out of it. Um, of course, you probably have already secured their airway if they're seizing and in alcohol withdrawal. Um, or if uh, they, uh, like I said, if they had the Kepra and the, the Cerebex already, or if they're alcohol withdrawal, that's the only one that springs to mind immediately for where Phenobar would be a great drug to use if you have it, if it's available. Because if I have someone that is a known alcoholic and is seizing, I'll give them phenobarb. It's because it's like a great off switch. Because you, usually, if they're if they got the DTs going too, you've already given them a bucket of Ativan. Ativan, yeah, exactly. Uh, the twenty milligrams has already happened. Let's yeah. Uh, yeah. of Ativan, yeah. not, yeah. not even <laughs> barbiturates. Um, we carry phenobarb on the aircraft. It's I've given it. I think I mean a handful of times on the airframe. Given a lot more honestly in PZR at night than I have ever on the airframe. Um, Keep in mind, as far as the infusion of phenobar, most of the time we load with 20 milligrams per kilogram. It's usually over anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. Kind of depends on what you're going with. Watch their hemodynamic status when you do it. You got to watch their airway status. It depends on what's going on with the kid or the adult. Um, I, they're usually intubated. Or I'm using this as actually my way to facilitate intubation um, as my part of my sedation management on top of the benzos. A lot of people don't know, hey, once you give the initial dose of arbituate, they probably need to be on an infusion. Just so you maintain, you're, what you're trying to do is knock that neuroactivity totally out. Um, typically, the dose of the infusion, which is something a lot of people don't talk about, is the 0.2 to 0.4 milligrams per kilogram per minute. 
Um, I was talking about concentrations of drugs and how it comes a minute ago. That can be a challenge. So, like, uh, for us on the airframe, we've got the 130 milligram uh, per ml vials, which is awesome. We've got enough to stop it in even people that are greater than 150 kilos. Um, But the infusion, I may not have enough. So it's one of those things, hey, I got enough to load them. It'll buy me 30 minutes to an hour before they get to infusion. I'm immediately getting on the radio, hey, when I get home or wherever I'm going, that's got a big enough center with an ICU, hey, can you, well, it's 3 a.m., yeah, call the pharmacist in or call whoever you got to call in to mix the barbiturates. Um, uh, Pentatol is something else a lot of people use. Depends on kind of what's going on. But phenobarb is pretty much the common one. I think we see more emergency medicine. It's relatively stable. So um, uh, it's pretty much a pathway. At that point, you're getting EEG and everything else. Something else, we talk about airway management with these patients. We talked about RSI, and I mean, what point you RSI. Typically, you get two benzos in. I'm not saying you don't go to three or four. It just kind of depends on each patient. They're all unique. Um, what do you all use as far as ensuring their, when you facilitate the airway? What what drugs are you using? Is there anything you do differently? Um. If they're if it's like a medical status epilepsy or if it's a medical status patient, um, I will use propofol as a sedation, and then I will, if at all possible, there are circumstances where you can't use it. Use sucks um, because it's quicker off than rock. Rock is about a half life of about an hour, um, and then rock, is, not rock, excuse me, sucks is. Um, documented is two to five minutes. It's always been about five to ten minutes that I've noticed a neuroexamine come back. So propofol to sedate them at uh, two per kilo and then um, the sucks at um, one per kilo. Just like rock. It's just like a rock dose. I, I mean, I, typically I stay away from Atomidate. They do use Atomidate to induce seizures. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not usually the dose we're given. The 0.3 yeah. milligrams per kilogram, less than 20 yeah. milligrams is usually not going to one's going to start seizures. But these are the patients yeah. I use the benzos and other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything different the they do? Fentanyl versus rock, yeah. uh, kind of that trio impedes, um, especially because you're already going to be loading on benzos anyway. And then usually for peds, and the and the one thing that people do sometimes forget is when you paralyze them and then you tube them, you're like, okay, they're not moving anymore, and they're not seizing. They're they're still seizing. It's just they're not showing it, and so you're going to need them on an infusion of some kind. And the big one that really like impedes is versed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to use a versed infusion anyway, you know you're going to be getting that ready along with everything else you're doing the airway. Um, and then I tend to stay away from sucks in kids in general, like across the board, um, and do more rot just because you don't know what what's causing their seizures. Do they have a myopathy or are they in rhabdo because they've been seizing an hour and their potassium through the roof that's and now true. you just that's caused a whole other problem, yeah. right? It depends on how long they've been seizing. Too. Exactly. That's because it can cause their kid so to go up. I'm but. pretty much rock all the way. Like if, if I'm paralyzing the kid, it's rock and that's it. <laughs> Endless. It de- I, I think for me, it depends on the history and what mm-hmm. I'm told. If, it, if I was told last no normal was 20 minutes ago, yeah. I'll give them. I'll give them. Because usually at this point, we're kids – the va- I mean, we talk about all the, like these big scary things and intubating them, all kinds of stuff, because it's gonna happen. But it's pretty rare. Yeah. And usually, if you're getting to this point in kids, it's because there's something else going on. They either have a brain tumor or mm-hmm. some weird bleed, or it's an electrolyte issue. Mm-hmm. You know, their glucose, their sodium, their calcium. It's something okay. weird that's causing them to do this. Yeah. So that's why I tend to avoid sucks in kids. Yeah. And the other thing with it, you know, we're talking about kids, oh, a lot of people worry about the rock. It's gonna take 30 minutes for an hour. If they're out there hyperbolic box, they they will chew through it. Yeah, They'll chew oh, through yeah. everything. Yeah, kids come out of rock a lot. Bigger <laughs> than adults. Yes. <laughs> Even I'll say with this with adults, if you've given somebody um, two or three doses of uh, benzo, and then you've even gone gone to barbiturates or you've gone to capra, and then we're going to RSI somebody. To me, if you got propofol, great option. I like the propofol infusion afterwards, especially. Um, I you don't have to give them the full hundred rock. I give them you know anywhere from smaller way smaller doses so 15 to 25 milligrams it's going to take a minute to get them down but if you can manage your airway keep them oxygenated pre-oxygenate them well make sure that all you're trying to do is make sure those cords are relaxed well enough to facilitate a tube going through it so at this point i've already had i've already gone on the list the ducks are in the row we're 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 good to go there um talk about airway management you mentioned there's something else going on we've said that a couple different times so let's talk about different things that we have to worry about as far as other things that can kind of mess with you and cause the seizures or potentiate the seizure and make them 10 times worse. Um, easy fix, 
often overlooked, glucose. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100% for adults and kids. And kids. <laughs> fix it, fix yes. it. Oh, yes. Kids, I've seen it more often than kids. Than yeah, adults. and I think it may, and to be honest, I think it's because I've been working adult ER and other stuff instead of the PDR last two months. But think about this big formula shortage we've got. You know, whenever you go sit through PEDS boards, the biggest thing that they teach you for kids with seizures is check the electrolytes, ask them how they're mixing the formula, things like that, because, you know, you have families that are trying to make ends meet, and then they water down the formula, and they end up piping atremic, hypoglycemia, and they come in seizing. Well, I'm sure everyone, unless you're living on a rot nose, we've had this big national formula shortage. I haven't seen a whole lot of that, but that's something to keep in mind. If you got a kid coming in status, pull a gas where you can see what their glucose is, see what their sodium is, see what their calcium is. Those are like your big three electrolytes. You know, ask the family how they're mixing the formula. You know, a scoop to every two ounces. If they're watering it down, that sodium may be low, and you may be talking about hypertonic to get them out of it instead of you know more benzos generally generally minus the formula in in some circumstances same thing applies for adults it's mm-hmm. the same thing as check the electrolytes check the glucose things like that I, there's a lot of diabetics in the jackson area so i ask are they diabetic if they're mm-hmm. you know having a seizure if they're acting weird neurologically are they a diabetic have they had insulin usually their kidneys don't work good because they're a diabetic and their insulin hangs around longer um and if they're seizing that's a good question to ask what's the glucose Mm-hmm. And we live in Mississippi. It's a little warm outside. So from the from the sports medicine world, which I also play in, it, are they dehydrated? Have they been eating and drinking like they're supposed to? Have they been overhydrating, and they just wash everything down? So now their their sugars in the tank and their sodiums in the tank too, which leads us into hyponatremia. That is probably the scariest one of the scariest things I've ever seen in both adults and kids. Active seizures. Can't tell you the number of times we've gone somewhere, hey, they're in status, can't break them. First question out of my mouth, and Medcom has a running joke when my old night shift was, first question I was going to ask what the sodium is. And it's every single time. It doesn't have to be the typical one we see for hyponatremic. It can be anything less than 120. So we tell in the textbook. I've seen it as low as 104. Um, it's whatever it is. That being said, it's all on how fast it moves. So if they have a really quick shift, um, happens a lot in sports medicine where they – drop from they normally sit around 135 or 140 typical doses one typical range is 135 to 145 they typically sit around 135 138 something like that now they're 125 within a short time frame they're seizing so keep that in mind about what's going on and i know one of the big terrifying things for me that i still sometimes am uncomfortable with after these years is you know exactly like you said like if it rapidly changed you can rapidly correct it but if it's slowly changed you you rapidly correct it and cause issues if they're in status you correct it until they stop seizing and then it doesn't matter you're not trying to hit a number at that point you're treating it you're trying to stop the seizures and seizure stop that's Let when yeah. yeah yeah and that's important, important to bring home you're trying to stop the seizures you're trying to <clears throat> you're trying to prevent that hie mm-hmm. you're trying to prevent that hypoxic state so Give it enough to you where you stop seizures. When we talk about hyponatremia, the fix is sodium. You got to give them sodium back. Um, talk about secondary injury. The two biggest ones are hypoxic and lactate. Lactate has been you got to rehydrate these patients. You got to flush them out. Most of the time, these patients are getting either plasma light or LR or saline, some kind of bolus with some sodium in it. Um, but make sure they have they're getting rehydrated with it. Make sure you're giving them something back. Those you're trying to correct it enough to stop them seizing. After then, you do the math, right? Everybody loves the math. Um, we had to rewrite our protocol a couple of years ago because we actually didn't have the math in there, and we're like, hey, this is something at 3 a.m. Somebody's yeah. going to want a little help with. You can go to MD Calc if you want. Yeah. But yeah. at least we should go to the down dirty or our protocol yep. and say, hey, look, this is how you write it out and get on a sheet of paper. Yep. I, uh, there, I have no shame in my game. I have called back to PZR, and I made mm-hmm. JP of all people. Say, hey, dude, I need you to calculate this correction <laughs> over this many hours. He's like, yeah. You said, dude, I'm telling you, yeah. I know, I know your math game. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the other question, especially in peds is everyone's like, okay, do we do normal D5, normal D5, half, all kind of stuff. Don't do half normal in these kids. If you're seizing, if you worry about anything in the head, just normal saline. If they're, you know, less than six years old, add dextrose to it. But basically normal saline. Here's a question because I'm mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> 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 if they're hyponatremic and that's why they're seizing in their kid. Is mm-hmm. it appropriate to give them a three percent bolus? Not aggressive, but like yeah. a three percent bolus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Would it be like five per kilo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they tell you again, they tell you the range three to five. Me personally, if you're in a situation where you're trying to avoid death, yeah. HIE stuff like that, go bigger, go, go home. home. Okay. Sure. No, that's, no, I'm, that's well, the I'm yeah. all about big. Go yeah. Bigger yeah. Home. Five, five cc per kg hypertonic, and and I so then the other that. question is, I think I've had it twice over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, 
do you do three percent, twenty three percent, whatever? It's three percent. Just just keep it simple. Do your three percent. There has been a trimic. I don't know if I agree. Yeah, First no. of all, I don't know if these hospitals in the outlying areas would have twenty three percent. Most well, you be talking <clears throat> not necessarily Mississippi, but most places rural hospital like I, we're the only aircraft I know of around here close to close to Jackson, especially that carries three percent. A lot. It's it's un it's uncommon. Um, that being said having 23%, unless they have a neuro ICU, they're not going to have 75 or 23%. So they may be able to mix it or, you know, facilitate it. But typically it's 3% or nothing. Um, and sometimes having access to it at night or having access to it where they are. So can you give some a kid or somebody that's normal saline enough to where you can, yeah, but it's yeah. not going to – it's not going to work. Yeah, so not if they're actively seasoned. It's yeah. more of like the rehydration. You've got it under control. Yeah. You're just trying to keep them going. Yeah. Um, so keep that in mind. As far yeah. as adults or peds, um, I've had plenty of – simply see it in nursing home patients, honestly, where they get really hyponatremic and they end up getting a 3% bolus. Um, I've had to repeat it twice in my career where I gave one bolus. After 15 minutes, it didn't work. The patient was still seasoned. They're, at this point, they're already intubated and have every drug on them in. But I had to repeat it. Their sodium went up. The 104 case, I will always remember. The first dose went up to 111. The second dose went to 116. That stopped it. And so just – and then after that, you're playing a math game. But you're trying to stop the seizure, prevent everything yeah. else. And then um, kind of like to add on that, because I know glucose and sodium is the big ones. If you're like at one of those less than six-month-olds or even a couple-week-old, and it's like really weird – Everything else looks fine. The calcium. Yeah. And you would dose them with calcium gluconate, ideally, if you got calcium chloride, the worst too. It'd be the same as your code dosing. You're trying to bring that calcium up. Mm-hmm. They may be an undiagnosed, like DeGeorge or something weird where they're not metabolizing it right. And then, boom, they're seizing their brains out because their calcium's right. low. So that'd, that'd be the only other little caveat I'd put in is mm-hmm. make sure you check the calcium too. Yeah, if you, it's if you, rare. but Yeah, I've, I have a lot <clears> about it. Yeah, yeah. That way. I've had one, I think one in seven years the the thing to me is you take on point if you're in a small hospital you're dealing with something that that small two or three week old that's you know maybe four or five kilo Mm. max um if you've only got one thing to pull get the cmp yet anybody sees and always get the cmp first i don't care about a bbg i don't i don't care what the ph is i don't care do the cmp yeah um that's the only thing that matters because you can figure out we just talked about the three big ones you got glucose sodium and calcium those are three big mm-hmm. ones you can figure out hey if it's not one of those cool it's something else yep if people harp on ck's and lactates those are funsies you're gonna have to assume those are gonna go up if they're seizing oh yeah so yeah. just hydrate and get the cmp <laughs> yeah because sure. ultimately it's not going to change your management because yeah, you're going exactly. to hydrate and do yeah, everything the same exactly like i said it's for funsies exactly have to have that. It's, it's a great for an emission order great for an icu trending all those kinds of things yeah. but as far as management figure out acutely mm-hmm. hey let's stop seizure that being said, you got somebody you're say you're transporting them. You're coming from a small hospital. Hey, great, we did seizures. We got them intubated. We had to go down this mm-hmm. road. Unknown etiology, new onset. We're gonna say it's an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten versed. They got a propodose of Ativan, didn't work. They went to versed, didn't really work. Now we got Capra. Okay, we got it. Now we're on barbiturates. We're on a barbiturate infusion. We're moving somebody mm-hmm. intubated. Is there anything y'all want to watch besides their CMP, obviously, and make sure they stay their sugar? Is there other things you're looking for to trend, or is there anything you want to make sure you know as far as a receiving position? If I was, you know, taking the call, I'd want to know. I, the biggest things I want to know are what's their neurostatus. So, I, and by that, I mean, yes, you've sedated the crap out of them, but what their eyes doing are they deviate deviating the stagnant stuff with that or are they just straight up paralyzed and if they are paralyzed do you have a monobenzo infusion like that's going to be the top two things i ask because again you know time is brain that's the big thing we're worried about and then after that it's you know what's their sodium what's their glucose what's their calcium um that's usually my big my big ones and if if you get a good history from the outside facility if there's any change like if they sneeze Mm -hmm. wrong metaphorically yeah. speaking i want to know about it like if, yeah. call me pick up the phone the phone is open 24 yeah. 7 i want to know if anything changes yeah. because if there's a change neurologically it's either good or bad i'm not there but just yeah. depending on what it is and what they tell me i want to know about it post seizures you know you have you have a kid we're picking on a lot of kids but adult either one all of a sudden hey came with us out of van they stopped they came post stick doll they came back around everything's fine mm-hmm. 
did something change after that? Well, now they have foot drop, or now they have weakness mm-hmm. on the left side. Okay, was this a bleed? Was it an ICH? You scan them afterwards. Um, I will say this from a receiving standpoint: it's not the end of the world they get a CT scan before they leave. No, I, I I've heard that enough times from our receiving <laughs> staff. I'm not one of them typically, uh, unless I'm hanging out in the ER. But it is not something they have to have. So no. don't don't think a CT scan. Yes, we want to know the underlying cause of CT. Mm-hmm. They're going to get a CT scan no matter where they're going. Yep. But stop the seizure first. That's the that's yep. the big priority. Yes. Yep. We have we have donuts of truth here. We, yeah. we have CT scanners here that work usually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, that's that should not be the rate limiting step for a transfer. Correct. But we can do that. Right. I agree. So, um, the point bring up is: Are they bucking the tube? If they mm-hmm. did get intubated, are they bucking the tube? Are they having any purposeful movement? Are they changing yeah. that? Or are they still totally out of it? Still postictal? Those mm-hmm. subtle signs are they still seizing or not? The biggest thing I like to say, <clears> I always look for is takeaway point here. Wrapping up, mm-hmm. look for the nystagmus. Look at their eyes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. See what they're doing. Are they reactive? Are they not? They fixed, bone dilated, nystagmus. They deviated. What are they doing? Yep. Um, and then how do they do tactile stimulus? Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys. Yeah. Anything else y'all want to add? I can't uh, think of anything. I think we covered it. Yeah. Right. Good. Appreciate y'all coming today. Of course. Thanks for yeah. Your time. Yeah. It was yeah. A great time. Thanks for having me back. All right.